Good morning. Um, privileged to share with you again. We have just completed 10 days of consecration and fasting as a church, and it has been good. God will honour that, I am sure. Those of you that have taken a big part in that, or even a little part in that, God will honour that. Seeking God and fasting and praying is something which we should always do. And asking him to speak into our lives is very important. And uh, he has done that, I am sure. During this time that we've had in these days of consecration and fasting, I have been reading much through the what, I, what are known as the Psalms of Ascent. They are Psalms 120 to Psalm 134. And there's much to encourage us in those Psalms. And it's just one of those Psalms which I want to emphasize this morning. These Psalms were sung or spoken by the people of Israel on their way to worship. On their way to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. They, some of the people would be travelling great distances on foot mainly going to Jerusalem. Once a year they would travel to Jerusalem, they would be carrying or leading an animal, a perfect animal, for a sacrifice. Sacrifice would be given to the priest and they would sacrifice that as an offering. It would either be a sheep, a goat, or if you weren't that wealthy, it could be a bird. The nearer, the nearer the people got to Jerusalem and the temple area, they would, of course, meet others. And during that time, when they also met with their families as well, they would go to the temple to offer their sacrifices, to offer their sacrifices together. And all of the time, there was an emphasis on worship and sacrifice. They gave their best to God. They gave their best to God. And that's what we should, we should do whenever we come together. We should be bringing the best we can to the Lord. I'm very glad, of course, that we don't have to bring animals this morning. The animal sacrifices with all the blood and everything else. The animal sacrifices with the blood and the way, the, the way that things were done in the Old Testament. We know, of course, that Christ 
was, was a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. And of course we celebrate that this morning with communion. There was a once and for all sacrifice for sins. They went to the, they went to the temple, took their sacrifice. We can bring a sacrifice of praise this morning to the Lord. We can bring a sacrifice of worship to the Lord this morning. We're all called to be worshippers. I'm going back to the psalm of ascent for the main part of the message this morning. But whilst on the subject of worship, I just wanted to remind you of a couple of things, a couple of verses from John chapter 4. This is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking for worshippers this morning. Another couple of verses before I come on to the main part of the message this morning. It's Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Again, well-known verses, I'm sure, to everybody here this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God is looking for worshippers this morning. God is looking for worshippers. Are you a worshipper? Are you a worshipper this morning? Worship is not something that we do purely on a Sunday morning. We come together as an act of worship on a Sunday morning. That is only part of worship. That is only part of worship because worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. 
Worship is what we should all, what we should be doing all the time with our lives. Honouring God with our lives at all times. Putting God first in everything that we do. That is the heart of worship. The first of the Ten Commandments God gave to his people was, you shall have no other gods before me. He demands your worship. He demands your worship. That commandment he gave to the Old Testament people of Israel still applies today. And I want to encourage you this morning to be a worshipper, to be somebody who gives everything to the Lord, not just part of everything, part of what you do, for everything, all the time. Give everything to the Lord. We're going to look this morning at the Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 121. It's probably the most well-known psalm. Remember these these psalms were, were sung or spoken on their way by the children of Israel, on their way to worship. Let's read it together, coming up on the screen. I will lift up mine eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Notice that is a question. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Probably the most well-known of the Psalms of Ascent. There are 14 of them. They range from Psalm 120 right through to Psalm 134. Psalm 134, which concludes, I believe this is probably the one that the children of Israel would have recited as they got to the temple door, as it were. And it says, Behold, bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, who made heaven and earth. Probably that they, these psalms are well known. We love the idea from uh, Psalm 121 that mountains, mountains are sources of strength and encouragement. I personally like mountains. 
I like the grandeur of them. I've climbed, I've climbed a few. Um, been up, been up Snowdon a couple of times in this country. We've been to Switzerland. We've seen uh, some of the more majestic mountains. Dorothy and I have been to Canada, been through the Rockies twice. Grand mountains. Absolutely wonderful things. They're majestic. They are God's creation. And I've heard sermons preached from this, this particular chapter on many occasions. And, of course, on the significance on the mountains of the Bible. There are plenty of them. You have Mount Sinai, where the Lord came down and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. You've got Mount Carmel, where Elijah called fire down from heaven. Coming into the New Testament, you've got the Mount of Transfiguration, where the Lord himself was transfigured before his before the three disciples and Elijah and Moses were there as well. The Mount of Olives, Mount Calvary. And then I'm reminded very much of a, of a sermon I heard a few years ago that was preached by uh, one of the um, more senior uh, AOG pastors he was coming towards the end of his uh, life at that time. He was very much involved in the work of God throughout his life. And he preached on Caleb. What did Caleb say? Give me this mountain. He wanted a mountain to climb. All mountains... And all of those things are sources of inspiration and very good. But is this really what the psalmist is writing about? Because he's looking at the mountains and asking, verse 2, from where shall my help come? From where shall my help come? He's looking at the mountains. And the answer to that is no. The, the help does not come from the mountains. Why do I say that? Simply because in the Old Testament times, the people of God who were on their way to worship at the temple had unfortunately turned to other gods from time to time. We know that from what we read in the scriptures. They turned to Baal. They, they did a lot of idol worship. And sprawled across the mountains as they went up to Jerusalem were idols. They were looking at the idols things that were put on the mountains as a supposed source of worship and not something which they were really able to... Uh, they related to them because they obviously worshipped them. They looked to the mountains for help. They were looking for the mountains to help them. Other gods... They looked at other gods 
and they were tempted as they were on their way to Jerusalem. There's a sense of tradition when you look at the mountains as well. Looking at the mountains, other gods were better than the true God. The mountains were full of temptation and traditions. And of course, they attracted a lot of people. <laughs> lots, of, lots of the children of Israel, from time to time, we know, they followed other gods. They followed other gods and not the true God. I want to bring this into the day in, day in which we live today because the world today is full of traditions. The world today is also full of temptations as well. And Christians this morning, none of us are immune from temptation. None of us are immune from temptation. None of us are beyond the part of getting our, our lives affected by traditions. We like things to be traditional. We like things to happen in a normal sort of way. We're tempted in many areas of our lives and it's not easy. But there are ways to avoid them. There are ways to avoid temptation if you are tempted by something in a particular location. Surely the answer is don't go there. Don't go there. If, you, if you're likely to be tempted by someone, you're best to avoid them. Christians this morning... Are you a traditionalist? Are you a traditionalist? Do we like things being done in a certain way, especially when it comes to worship? I think some of us do. I know I do. I've met a lot of Christians over the years, and some of them tend to get stuck in a particular way of doing things I'm sure you've met people like that as well people who do not change their views and eventually they become stuck in stuck in their ways it's not possible for them to move on the children of Israel were like that and human nature hasn't changed very much we tend to get stuck in our ways of doing things a traditional way. We need to move on. God moves on. Yes, there are things that we do not change. But there are things that we do have to recognise. We do change from time to time. To give you an example of this, Dorothy and I, along with Lad and uh, Chris and Sharon and uh, Naomi, were at the AOG conference last May. It's 30 years since I have been at the AOG conference. And boy, haven't things changed. 
Haven't things changed? God has moved on. But I could not help but wonder how some of the more old school, old traditional people would have got on with the sort of praise and worship time. Okay, the ministry was very very different uh, in, in some respects, but the praise and the worship has moved on. I can imagine what some of the old school people that I've known over the years would have said and what they would have thought. Flashing lights on a stage full of dancing people. No. Smoke machines. No. <laughs> it would have been heresy. But with but what I'm saying is Incidentally, incidentally, we had, we had the, the fire brigade come in because <laughs> the, the smoke machine set off the fire alarm. <laughs> we all had to evacuate. <laughs> Quite what some of the traditional people would have made of that, I do not know. But anyway, what I'm saying is don't get stuck in your traditions. Don't get stuck in your ways this morning. If the help does not come from the mountain, temptation and tradition, where does it come from? The scripture gives us the answer himself. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. Whatever you're looking for, this morning, whatever position you find yourself in this morning, your help comes from the Lord. Your help comes from the Lord. Even if your world is falling apart this morning, your help comes from the Lord. If you're faced with temptation this morning, if you're in great difficulty, if you're in need this morning, your help comes from the Lord. If you're caught up with tradition, wanting things to be done in a certain way, your help comes from the Lord. Your help comes from the Lord. If your body is suffering pain this morning, your help comes from the Lord. If you're in financial difficulty this morning, your help comes from the Lord. If you've experienced sorrow or bereavement, your help comes from the Lord. No matter what you're going through this morning, you can depend on the Lord. You can depend on the Lord. Why do I say that? I say that with great assurance because the psalmist answers the question himself. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The great creator God is on your side this morning. The great creator God is here to help you this morning. 
the Creator will uphold you. You will not slip and fall. God never stops working on your behalf. God never stops working on your behalf. He doesn't go to sleep. As the voice, as the verse points out, he, he, will keep, he who keeps you will not slumber. He does not go to sleep. He's there all the time to help you. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I just want to mention something because Israel is in very much in the news at the moment. We know from uh, um, the uh, situation which is happening in Israel and Gaza, of course. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Israel is the apple of God's eye. And he still cares for his people. He still cares for Israel. What I would say is, if you read the signs of the times of what is happening in the Middle East at the moment, and you will see, there will be no lasting peace in that land until the Prince of Peace comes back. He is their answer. Yes, the Jews have had their, their eyes blinded towards their Messiah. But one day, they will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Look, look, looking at Israel today, you would say, it's in great difficulty. But when the Prince of Peace returns, everything will change. I'm one of those who believe the coming of the Lord is very near. I've heard it preached many, many times over the years, and I know people have got it wrong. But looking at what is happening around the world and what is happening in the Middle East, I believe we're nearer now to the time to return of our Lord. He's coming back again. And our response has to be to get ready for his return. Get ready for his return. The one who keeps Israel will not rest. Having, having said that, if you're looking at the news today and in the last few weeks, it has to be said that everything Israel does is not entirely right. It's not entirely right. I remember years ago I was, uh, I was in a... I was going to a funeral of a friend of, friend of ours who um, passed away sadly. And I went with my father in his car down on the south coast, I think. And uh, 
we met up with the leader of a group that uh, has a, um, he's very well known, I'm not going to name him, but he's very well known, now with the Lord. Met up with him at this funeral. He's a leader of a Christian organization with uh, a great love for the land of Israel and for the people of Israel. And uh, after the funeral, my uh, father said to me, um, this man who is leader of the organization, uh, my father said to me, why, why don't you go back, go back to Bromley in his car? He will be on his own. And I travelled back with, with this man. He, he was considered to be an expert on the Middle East and particularly Israel. And I asked him a question, because there was a lot going on in the Middle East at that time. I asked him a question about the, the politics of Israel. And he said to me, none of the politicians within the state of Israel or what you would call born-again believers at all. They were doing things at, at that time and probably will continue to do things out of their human instincts rather than going along with what God wants to do. Yes, there's a plan of God in, in, in place, but men have a... Men are not perfect. And that really struck home to me because I was thinking everything Israel did was all in the plans and purposes of God. But he said no, because there are people in government in Israel who are not Christians. They're not people of God. They're people who look after their own interests. They look after their own businesses. They look after their own, their own, their own way of living. Yes, there is, a, there is an overall plan. But, but God will eventually have the last word concerning Israel. The psalmist continues with further assurances for us all this morning. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you. He will be your shade so that no harm will come your way. No harm will come your way. The Lord will protect you from the evil one, and the Lord will keep you, keep your, keep your soul. Isn't it good that you've got the Lord on your side this morning? No matter what you're going through, you've got the Lord on your side. He is the omniscient, the omnipresent, and the omnipotent God, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, and the ever-present God is with you this morning. And you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. God says so many times, in the Bible, fear not. Fear not. You had nothing to fear this morning. 
yeah, the world may have its many attractions and its many, its many ways of doing things, traditions. But if you look to the Lord completely, he has promised. He has promised. And he does not break his promises. He's promised he will see you through. I'm going to finish this morning because my time is practically gone. First of all, I said we should put God first in everything that we do. Put God first in everything that we do. There's a word of an old hymn, and I've used this hymn before, I know, but I love the words of it. I love the words of it. It was written by Frances Ridley Havergal. She was a lady. She lived a very short life. Came to the Lord at the age of 14 as a result of being a witness to. She only lived until she was 42. So she had a short life. She was a pianist and a songwriter. She wrote many, many songs. Probably the, probably the modern day equivalent of somebody like uh, Matt Redman or um, Darlene Suzette from Hill Songs. She really, really wrote. She wrote a number of songs and she was a pianist as well. She said, very early on in her experience, I commit my soul to the Saviour and heaven and earth seem brighter for that moment. I commit my soul to the Saviour and heaven and earth seem brighter from that moment. I told this story before, I'm going to tell it again because I think it's relevant. I think it will encourage some of you this morning. Years ago when I was in church, I was a teenager. We used to have uh, visits from the, uh, the Bible College. When the Bible College was in South Croydon, um, many years ago this was and students we had a group of students here a few weeks ago from the IBTI similar thing happened years ago in the Bible College that was in South Croton one of the students they used to, they used to take the uh, morning services and rather like what the IBTI students did when they came here and um, when a group of students came there was one particular young man who was really uh, stood out from the others you tend to get that with students you know students uh, you you can see somebody who's going to be used to God. And I got that impression. This young student played the guitar 
sang this song, which I'm going to quote to you. I've quoted it before, but I think it's important because it, it has a message that I want to convey this morning to you. He sang this song with tears streaming down his face because it affected him in a great way. And I've never forgotten that because that young man went on to pastor three churches which grew in significant numbers. He pastored in Liverpool, Manchester and Exeter. Big churches and eventually became the national leader of Assemblies of God. That young man quoted was singing this hymn and I've never forgotten it. I will read these words, make it a prayer, make it your prayer this morning, as I make it my prayer this morning. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move. At the impulse of my love, take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver. And my gold, not a might would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet in treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. Wonderful words, great encouragement. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord, we say help us all. Thank you, Lord, that our help comes from you. You are the great creator God, and there is no one like you. Lord, help us this morning to honour you with our worship, to honour you with our consecrated lives. Lord, take us as we are and use us in your praise and your glory. In Jesus' name.